Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, 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 everybody. My name is James H. Williams. I am a editor and reporter for the Orange County Register, and I'm also one of the co-hosts here on the Believe in UCLA Football podcast. We have a very special episode going on today as we have Dan Taylor here today with us, um, an author for a book on former uh, UCLA player, football player, um, and a teammate of Jackie Robinson and stuff that we'll be getting into here in a minute. Um, But again, Dan Taylor uh, has a book out. uh, I believe it came out on July 13th. It's it's been about a month. About a month called Walking Alone, the Untold Journey of Football pioneer kenny washington so again dan thank you and welcome uh, to the show thank you for the invitation great to be with you no worries no worries um so i haven't had a full opportunity to dive into the book as much as i want I've, i have read a few chapters um obviously we're in the middle of football season here and that's that's getting going and once that starts it's kind of hard to stop until the season <laughs> stops but um but i've i found it interesting so far so i've covered ucla football for about three, four years or so, right? And and obviously, everyone's going to know who a Jackie Robinson is, right? But um, I've learned, I was like, wow, I think before I saw um, anything about your book kind of come along, and maybe shame on me for not even considering looking, but I'm like, I couldn't tell you who maybe broke that color barrier or helped move the game forward in the NFL in, in the same way Jackie Robinson did for baseball. So that was one thing that really piqued my interest about this book. And my first question for you is, how did you kind of um, get involved in hearing about the story, wanting to write the book that you did about Kenny Washington? Well, it, it started off, I have a great friend who's a, a UCLA, you know, Bruin blue and gold guy. His name's Artie Harris. And he was one of the scouts of the movie Moneyball and uh, played baseball in the late 50s at UCLA. And, and then taught at UCLA in the 60s. And he was telling me, we were talking about Jackie Robinson one day. And, and he's telling me the story that two of his professors at UCLA had been there in 39. And they insisted that as great as Jackie was, he couldn't touch Kenny Washington. Washington <laughs> was far greater. Right. And then later, Artie coached baseball and had three city champions at Venice High and had a PE instructor there uh, who had been on the 39 UCLA team. And he very calmly, very matter-of-factly echoed that, that, that Kenny Washington was the far better talent to Jackie Robinson. And, and so I, it just made me curious, and I started, mm-hmm. I, I'd heard of Kenny Washington. I certainly knew his number had been retired by the Bruins and, and knew he was a great football player, and, but really didn't know a lot about him. And that just made me start doing some digging. And, and really, I was astounded by what I learned about him. Just a, a remarkable life and, a, and an amazing person. And that's actually one of the questions I have for you. As someone who... And, and it's funny because I have a, a few coworkers who um, have just written books recently that um, really got on the radar with me because we were doing the MLB All-Star Game. Um, and actually, they honored uh, Jackie Robinson's uh, wife uh, there. It was her birthday, I think, the day of the All-Star Game. She wasn't there, but they gave a big shout out to her. And that was a big part of the D- uh, Dodger Stadium experience that day. But um, uh, yeah, like so I had some some coworkers who've written about uh, a book about Shohei Otani recently and about just some of the Dodgers history. And of course, Jackie Robinson being a part of that. And it really got me thinking, man, you guys must learn so much that goes into writing a book or 
Um, I'm sure as someone who writes articles and stuff, you know, I'll have more facts and information than I can fit into an article sometimes. And you're like, man, like there's just so much that sometimes you like, maybe there's no other option but to write a book when you have a good story to tell. What was something that you learned about um, Kenny Washington or just this story or, or throughout this journey in writing this book? Well, certainly uh, it was very emotional to, to learn what he went through. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was fascinating, his background growing up in the Lincoln Heights area of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. That was the immigrant area of, of LA at that time. And, and you know, so many of his neighbors and so many of his classmates were from other parts of the world that, that you know, didn't have that animosity toward African-Americans that maybe others in Southern California may have had. And so he, he grew up in, in a really uh, very positive environment. Um, if that's a, a terminology that, that fits. Uh, so it was very interesting to learn his upbringing versus, say, Jackie Robinson's upbringing in Pasadena, where he really did suffer uh, greatly. Um, I was amazed at how popular he was. He was far and away the most popular athlete in Los Angeles. Alice Marble had won Wimbledon in 39. She comes home and finishes second to Kenny Washington <laughs> in voting by the media for the LA Athlete of the Year. Wow. Um, I think he really laid the foundation for professional football to come in, for the NFL to come in and succeed in Southern California with his play with the Hollywood Bears. Um, I, I didn't know anything about his baseball background at all. And there were three times where he was at the center of efforts to integrate baseball. Jackie Robinson was trying to convince Brian Tricky to also sign Kenny along with him. And most scouts felt Kenny was the better baseball talent. And then uh, there was boxing. Uh, Joe Lewis's manager or Joe Lewis's promoter uh, was trying to convince Kenny to become a heavyweight fighter and felt that Kenny could become within a year, uh, potentially unseat Joe Lewis for the heavyweight title. Uh, and then add to that acting. He was in a dozen yeah. movies, mm-hmm. uh, was a star of a movie. Uh, so just, yeah, I was floored. I was really overwhelmed by all I learned about it. It was an, a remarkable story. Yeah, and and just <laughs> based on some of the things that you've laid out there, and one, it just sounds like he was a highly touted and highly regarded athlete in general, but I believe he only lives to be about 57 or something, 52. right? Yeah, 50. he passed. He had a very rare heart-lung disorder. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Spent much of the last two years of his life in hospitals in New York mm-hmm. and Baltimore and D.C. and, and at UCLA and, yeah. and passed at the age of 52. So 52, I, it, my understanding is he, he played a few years, obviously he played uh, in Hollywood there, but then he also played for the Rams. But then, uh, what was it, maybe three or four years, I believe, at that at the NFL level, and then he retires, and then he got into the movies, correct? He wasn't doing movies prior to that, right? No, actually, his first movie role came uh, just a few weeks after he played his last game at UCLA uh, oh, in 1940. Okay. Uh, Leo Popkin uh, was creating films with all Black casts for Black audiences. And he wrote a film specifically for Kenny. And it's kind of the holy grail of sports films. No one can find it. No one knows if there's a copy out there anywhere, but it did fairly well. Really? Uh, played all around the country. It was called While Thousands Cheer. And Kenny played a college football star who was being tempted by the mob to fix a game. Uh, <laughs> so uh, they actually assigned him to a three-picture deal. He only did one film for that company. Hmm. But then when he was with the Rams, um, he was with the Rams for three seasons, 46, 47, 48. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, uh, he did some films when he was with the Rams. And actually, baseball came after him again as soon as he retired from the Rams. And he had to put it off for a year because he had already agreed to do three films. And so in, right. in 1949, 
He made three films. And then in 1950, Leo DeRocher brought him in with the New York Giants. And he took a shot at playing Major League Baseball. Yeah, I was going to say, because I think I saw something about him having like three or four knee surgeries. Is that correct? Five. He had five. five? And this is the real tragedy because he was such a remarkable talent. And, and you know, he, he made professional football on the coast. Professional football really had struggled to, to, to get, you know, get wings on the West Coast. And it, mm-hmm. it was, you know, a few independent clubs here and there in the 30s and the 40s that were, you know, playing around the country. And uh, Paul Schistler, who had been an NFL coach, created the Pacific Coast Football League. And, and of course, Kenny was, uh, you know, a huge target to try and get to, to play in the league. Mm-hmm. Well, when Kenny joined the Hollywood Bears, that it made the league because everywhere he went, the, the crowds were greater when he came yeah. in and, and, and playing in Gilmore Stadium. They sold out almost every single game. Uh, so yeah, he, he was he had tremendous success. Now, one of his last games, this is this is what I referred to as the great tragedy. One of his last games, his final game or next to last game with the Hollywood Bears, he suffered a terrible injury to his left knee. Mm-hmm. And he, his signing with the Rams was done clandestinely in January of 1946. The Rams did not want to make an announcement until all of their staff had moved to Los Angeles. So the, the morning after, uh, or I should say the day after the general manager and the coach arrived was when they had their very first press conference as a, as a franchise mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. And it was to announce the signing of Kenny Washington. And about three weeks later, he underwent surgery to both knees. The more severe was to his left. And, and he really didn't play well at all his first year with the Rams in 46. Did remarkable rehab work and, and bounced back pretty well in 47. Uh, but he had more injuries to it late in the 47 season that carried into 48 and led him to retire. And that probably speaks to the, the work ethic or just the, just the athlete that he was, right? Because it's not the sports medicine that it is today with everything going on and you have guys who are bouncing back from Tommy John or, or other things, Achilles injuries, ACL injuries, like, you know, it's like kind of record time, the way every, all these athletes are moving. So when you suffer um, a knee injury, let alone five um, or have five surgeries, the way that he did, I mean, that's a lot of people who don't, who don't come back after one or two knee surgeries, even now in, well, in, in right. athletics. You're absolutely right. A knee surgery back then, was highly invasive. It's mm-hmm. not what it is now where they have, um, you know, arthroscopic and it was very invasive back, back then. Um, in that year, in that summer between the 46 and 47 seasons, you know, people have asked me, could he have played today? And I refer to the work ethic he put into rehabbing where he was, he was hiking hills. He was on a stationary bike. He was mm-hmm. playing handball every day, practically with Bob Waterfield, the Rams quarterback. Uh, you know, a, a UCLA guy. I mean, he uh, was running pass routes with Waterfield in a park in the evening and he took up golf and he took up golf strictly to get out and walk 18, mm-hmm. you know, on, on hilly courses to, to build the legs back up. So when he came Good back in, in training camp in 47, you know, the Rams were pretty impressed because they had told him, you know, if we see the Kenny Washington we saw in 46, he can't help us. And you're going to, if that's the case, you're going to agree to retire which he did agree to, um, but wow. they were very impressed with what they saw in 47 and, and he second in the league in rushing up until mm-hmm. he got hurt late in the season. And I think, so one thing, just from what you said there, that stood out to me, especially when he uh, agrees to retire, things aren't going to work out the way that they're supposed to. Uh, it sounds like he was really kind of betting on himself there. Right. But I think when you just look at his career and everything that he's done, the obstacles that he's had to overcome, 
he's kind of betting on himself the whole way, is he not? He is, but he's also a, a person of very high character. Mm-hmm. Um, you go back to 46. Now, Jackie Robinson signs with the Montreal Royals, the Dodger top farm team in October of 45. And he declares in November, hey, Kenny is going to play baseball. Mm-hmm. Now, the question, and there were articles left and right all throughout the country. Hey, Kenny Washington is going to play baseball on and on and on. And then finally, some of the reporters in Southern California asked Kenny about it. And he said, I, I told the Dodgers I already had other plans. And the deal was the last week of January in, in 46 was when the Dodgers finally reached out to him. And he couldn't tell the Dodgers why, but he said no. And baseball was his preferred sport. It was his first love. And th- what had happened was 10 days earlier, the Rams announced they're moving to Los Angeles. And they come into Los Angeles and they strike a verbal deal with him. Mm-hmm. And as he later explained many years later, he said, I was not a person who would go back on my word. Yeah. And I had given the Rams my word. Now, this also happened uh, in 1950 when he played professional baseball. The Giants let him go in spring training and he joined the Los Angeles Angels, which at that time were the minor league team. And he struggled. He hadn't played competitive baseball in five years. I think he was playing at the top level of minor league ball. Mm-hmm. And he struggled. And then he got hurt. And the Angels sat him down and said, we want to send you to a lower level farm team and, you know, get your swing back and get your game back, not the rust off your game. And he said, no, I said I was going to give it a month. I'm not contributing. I'm going to walk away. And that really, I think, speaks volumes to the, mm. to the, to the man that Kenny Washington was. Um, so, and the other thing that's kind of stuck out to me, I, he was born in L.A. I believe when he passes away, he was in L.A., played for UCLA, played for Hollywood, played for uh, the L.A. Rams there. Or, yeah, the L.A. Rams yeah. at the time, because I think that, that, yeah, they had just moved in. They just right. come to the Coliseum. Um, was L.A. just home and where he preferred or was it were there obstacles with even exploring other cities or opportunities because of what was going on and because of his race? You know, I'll give you a couple of answers on that. I, I know I'm long winded here, but mm-hmm. no, but, take your time. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I was really curious about and could never get an answer to was, was he ever approached to play baseball in the Negro League? Mm-hmm. You know, his season at UCLA was tremendous. He was leading the league in hitting. He was the first African-American to play baseball at UCLA in 1938. Uh, he was leading the league in hitting until he got a bad case of the flu and spent a couple nights at the hospital with two, three weeks to go in the season. But scouts up and down the coast said, no, this is a major league player. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I wondered, because obviously he knew the major leagues was – you know, that was a door that was shut, but was he approached? And, and, and in researching this, I found that the Negro League teams did come in here and scout Southern California. There were three uh, opponents at other schools in Los Angeles that all went and played in the Negro League. So I'm sure there had to have been uh, Negro League coaches, scouts that saw him. There had to have been some communication. I just could never get any confirmation of whether that happened and, and what his thought process might have been about leaving the area and playing in the Negro Leagues. Um, yeah, his opportunities were always in L.A. When he when he went to spring training with the Giants in 1950, they wanted to put him at their top minor league team in Jersey City. And his response was, I've got a young family. I'd really like to play on the West Coast, be close to my family. Leo DeRocher made some calls, and that's why the Angels signed him. So certainly there was a comfort level for him. Um, in 48 with the Rams, uh, they had agreed to play, had actually agreed to a five-year deal to play an annual exhibition game in Dallas. And Kenny didn't want to go because he knew what he was going to be faced with. Yeah. 
And he became the first African-American professional athlete to play in the state of Texas. Uh, Penn State had been in the uh, Cotton Bowl that January, and they were told not, they had three or two or three African-American players. They were told not to bring them. They defied that and played the players. Uh, the team was housed on a Navy base because hotels wouldn't put them up. Yeah. So uh, in, in August or in late August, early September, it was the Rams' last exhibition game. And, and, and Kenny told the coaching staff, I'm not going. You know, there, there was a lot of publicity about an uptick in lynchings down there. And he wanted no part of Texas. And uh, he was assured he would be safe. He did go down. He did play and was the first African-American to play professionally uh, in, a, in a football game in the state of Texas. But yeah, L.A. was home. L.A. was there was a comfort zone for him, no question. And what do you think it was about, you know, again, as, as, as I mentioned earlier, you have Jackie Robinson and you could just say the name and, and you know the whole story, right? Everyone's going to know who that is. But if, why doesn't it kind of maybe carry the same weight when, some, when you mentioned Kenny Washington? Why, why do you think that it is? Because, I mean, he broke barriers. He played in, in a big market like L.A., you know, even to now that the Rams are back, UCLA is still here. And, and I believe UCLA still kind of, you know, they kind of mention him as part of, of, of their history, especially when it comes to Jackie Robinson. I believe they mentioned him. I want to say they do they have the first black basketball player as well. I think UCLA might have. I might be mistaken on that, but um, I feel like UCLA probably does a pretty good job about it. And obviously the Rams are, are getting back to their roots a little bit by being back in L.A., but just on a, on a national level, why, why do you think maybe the name doesn't carry as much weight? I think there's two or three reasons for that. And one, you've alluded to Jackie Robinson and Jackie justifiably uh, has all the accolades and credit coming to him and more, even more so. And I think that has somewhat overshadowed Kenny. For example, the ball, the baseball facility at UCLA is Jackie Robinson field. Yet Kenny was the first African-American to play there. Kenny hit 397 uh, for the season, his lone season there. And led the league in home runs. Jackie hit 097, 1940, his lone season there. Right. So I, I think, you know, I think in one sense, and I don't say it in anything negative mm-hmm. or derogatory, but I think Jackie has overshadowed it. Um, the second is, you know, and, and I tried to be real careful with this mm-hmm. in, in my explanations. There have been people who've said, oh, he integrated the NFL. No, he did not. He reintegrated the NFL. In You're right. I've heard that said as such. Yeah. He had uh, there were there were a number of African-American players that played up through 1933. The mm-hmm. Cardinals cut Joe Lillard at the end of the 33 season. And then there was a 12 year, if you want to say, unwritten ban right. um, before Kenny was signed by the Rams. Um, so I think there's that, that difficulty. And you don't want to disrespect the guys that played up through 33 by putting mm-hmm. all this emphasis on Kenny. And the other is that Jackie had a Hall of Fame baseball career. Kenny was really at the end of the road when he was with the Rams. Right. He did not, except for the 47 season, he really didn't play well. Um, and I think those three things, the other thing, uh, and maybe this might end up, I, I don't know how these, these should be properly weighed, but maybe one of the most important factors is in Jackie's case, he was integrating the American game. I mean, baseball was the number one game in this country at that right. time. It was baseball, boxing, and horse racing. Those were the three yeah. main sports <laughs> Come in America. Along the way. <laughs> right. And pro football was about seventh on the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was behind, and amazingly, behind track and field, probably, in terms of the coverage wow. it got around the country. So, you know, in, in researching this and going through a lot of papers all around the country, Jackie signing had enormous headlines. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the typeface, they were enormous right. everywhere in the country. In Kenny's case, when the Rams signed him, 
it was a small little box. And sometimes it was a, it was a line. In it a was a brief. Event, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that went not just to Kenny, but but to uh, the popularity of pro football at that time. Gotcha. And one one other thing that stuck out to me: what what is this Hollywood Bear? <laughs> what is the Hollywood Bear? What what is that about? I've never heard of that before. There were there were in this in this country at that time. You had the NFL, which was really still struggling mm -hmm. to grow legs, but there were about five professional leagues around the country. There was a league in the East. You had the the original American Football League, the original AFL in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And ironically, the Rams came out of that and, and applied and were admitted to join the NFL mm -hmm. uh, in Cleveland. Um, the, the Cincinnati Bengals originated in the old, old AFL. Um, but there was nothing on the West Coast. And so the, in 19, during the summer of 1940, the Pacific Coast Football League was created. And it was the LA Bulldogs, which had been an independent team that traveled the American Legion owned it, and they were really hoping to get into the NFL. And uh, then they created the Hollywood Bears. They had a team in San Diego, team in Phoenix, team in Oakland. And this was the first professional football league on the West Coast. And uh, the, 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 the Bears signed not just Kenny, but Kenny's, uh, they signed a few other UCLA guys as well. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, Willie uh, Strode was a part of that, correct? Willie Strode, definitely. Mm -hmm. He was he was maybe the, the first guy that, that was signing. And Kenny was back in Chicago at that time. Kenny was playing in the All-America game they, where they took the, the top seniors. It's a game that's been since discontinued. But for many years, this was a big thing. It was the kickoff of the football season. They would take the just-graduated seniors and the All-Americans, and they would play the, the defending NFL champions in, in Soldier wow. Field in Chicago. <laughs> and Kenny played against the Green Bay Packers. He scored a touchdown. He came a yard short of, of equaling the longest punt return in the game's history. Wow. At a 42-yard punt return. And, and the Packers were excited. A lot of their players said, if this guy was in our league, he'd be the most exciting player in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And he came home intending to just finish up his studies at UCLA, which he, which he ultimately did. But his plan was to enroll in law school at Loyola and then go to work in the FBI. And when he got home, Woody Strode got a hold of him, Paul Sistler, who was the owner and coach got a hold of him and made him an offer. And they were paying him about a thousand dollars a game, which was way above NFL salaries. Right. And uh, that's where he spent the 40 and 41 seasons playing for them. Then 42, 43, he, uh, during the war, his draft number was low because he had a young family. He wanted to serve. So he joined the LA police department and served uh, the police because they were very understaffed. Mm -hmm. And he was a cop for two years, and then uh, he returned to football and uh, finished up uh, with the Hollywood Bears in 45 before the Rams bought his contract and signed him. Wow, so many different things, so many different ways we can go with that. But I want to st uh, stick on or stay uh, with Willie Strode here for a minute. I believe when Kenny Washington goes and is signing the contract or is in negotiation of some sort with the Rams, I believe part of that is saying, hey, I want Willie to come with me. I think he didn't want to be the only black um, member of the team. So he's like, hey, let me bring Willie. Obviously, as you mentioned, he was familiar with Willie. Willie helped bring him in with the Hollywood team, um, but then was also a teammate of, of with Jackie Robinson and Washington, both at UCLA. So were, were they best friends or, yes. or how important was it for him to have Willie there on the Rams? Woody Strode. Uh, yeah, Woody and Kenny were very close. Kenny at mm -hmm. one point was asked if he had any siblings. And he said, yeah, I have a brother. His name is Woody. Okay. That's how close they were. When, when UCLA recruited Kenny, they gave him a car, a Model T. He didn't know how to drive. So okay. Woody was a, actually age-wise, Woody was a couple of years older 
and Woody became his chauffeur for until Kenny learned how to drive. Okay. But they were they were very close friends all through their life. Um, and and Woody was a terrific athlete. Woody's another guy that is really overshadowed. I think um, they were starting to prime him for the decathlon. And if the 1940 Olympics were not shut down because of the war in Europe, mm-hmm. he may have been the American decathlete. Uh, he was wow. he was a tremendous talent as an offensive receiver and as a defensive end. He integrated the Canadian League later uh, with mm-hmm. the Calgary Stampeders. Um, and then became a very accomplished actor but yeah he and kenny were great friends kenny knew of his abilities and uh and so when kenny signed with the rams uh you know it it was a combination yes he wanted another african-american with him but he also knew that woody had that ability and could come in and help the team and so when woody's military commitment was finally completed um the rams brought him in and signed him gotcha and so it's woody not willie correct woody stroke yes okay Uh, thank you for that um what what were what did who were some of the more interesting people you did talk to and who were some people maybe you were still trying to get a hold of or or, or really wanted the opportunity to kind of talk to during this whole book process? Well, first, yeah, there were some some really fun conversations, and and the the difficult part of this was, you know, if, if when I started this project, Kenny's daughter Karen pointed out to me. I can't remember what my question to her was. And she goes, well, you know, if dad were alive, he'd be 104. <laughs> and, and I did. There was one teammate that was still with us when I started wow. the project, 104-year-old. He was in a, in a facility in, in Santa Barbara. Hmm. And a friend of mine uh, found him for me and, and made mention of it. And he was trying to make the connection. And then we got word that he had passed away, unfortunately. Hmm. Uh, there were some really interesting conversations. The daughters of the UCLA coach, uh, the 1939 coach, uh, Babe Burrell, his two daughters, one was 93, I think the other was 92 when we spoke, oh, wow. uh, and they were tremendous. They, they great stories, they were huge fans. Um, uh, they loved Kenny dearly. Uh, their dad would have the players into the home quite often. And mm-hmm. they, they were telling me, you know, who ate how much ice cream and all these crazy stories like that. But uh, yeah, they were fun. And one of them, kind of a fun aside, when we started talking, she said, I- I'm really kind of sorry, but uh, if my voice isn't great, it's because I was playing tennis the other day and fractured my elbow. We should all be so athletic when we're yeah. <laughs> wow. And then, and then I, I, I reached... <laughs> Interesting. The, the, uh, 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 Ned Matthews was the quarterback on that 39 UCLA team. He was later an original San Francisco 49er. Um, but I, I reached out to his daughter mm-hmm. and uh, when we were chatting, she said, you know, I really never talked football with dad, but my husband did. And, and let me put him on the phone. And one of the first things he says is, now, you've talked to B, haven't you? And I said, who's B? And he goes, well, that, that's Ned's wife. And I'm thinking Ned would be 103 or 104. And I think he knew what I was thinking. He said, yes, yeah, it's 102. <laughs> and I, so I started asking, you know, I mean, you've probably been through this with interviews with right, people right. that are a bit older. Yeah. And, Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm saying, OK, is there a time of day when it's best yeah, to get her? Right. Early in all, the day. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he right. says, no, anytime. She's really mm-hmm. sharp. So I hung up. I called her and it went to voice. And she called me back the next day. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, sorry, I didn't take your call because I was I wanted to go through some scrapbooks and double checks and things. And and she said, sorry, if my voice is a little scratchy, I've been sitting around eating chocolate. <laughs> and I thought, my hero, 102 year old downing chocolate. <laughs> but she was wonderful. And, and one of the things that was fascinating for me, you know, it's almost, some of this is almost like time travel. Mm-hmm. You, know, you get reading these articles and whatnot. And, and she shared some really interesting insights. Uh, there was a story that I had heard 
that Kenny and Jackie and, and Woody and uh, uh, Ray Bartlett, uh, who was mm-hmm. a close friend of Jackie's, came over with him from Pasadena City College. There were four of the five African-Americans on that Correct. team. And uh, they and, and some white players went into a restaurant in Palo Alto the night before the Stanford game and were denied service. Hmm. And what I read was that Ned Matthews just turned to all the players and said, they don't eat, we're not eating, let's go, guys. And she said, oh, yeah, that, had, that was true. And she told me about, you know, a few little bits about it that Ned had shared with her. And, and uh, you know, just amazing to, to, to go through all of that. But yeah, she was fascinating and, and it was really, really interesting. Kenny's family, his daughter Karen, has been a delight to work with. She was very upfront when we started that uh, she came into the family well after Kenny had finished his playing days. And uh, she didn't have a lot of the stories. Um, mm-hmm. His grandsons uh, were really helpful as well. Um, but that was some of the difficulty because Kenny Jr. Uh, had passed, Woody Strode had passed, Woody's mm-hmm. son had passed. And those were the three that everybody told me, they know all the stories. And unfortunately, uh, you know, they were all gone. So it just it really added to the workload, but uh, <laughs> fascinating journey. Did, how did, um, yeah, having that perspective and knowing it, and, and I could totally relate as some of you, as what you said there with trying to catch certain people and, and, and with their schedules and different times of the day, <laughs> but what, um, do you know some of, or do you have that mindset going into the, to the book process of there's going to be a lot of information digging in and maybe it's not going to be as easy just based on, on who's still alive and, and, and what information is available. What other resources did you lean on? Well, my previous book had chronicled the, the baseball minor league team, the Hollywood Stars, Lights, okay. Camera, Fastball. So, you know, they were a team of the 30s and the 40s and, and up through the mid-50s before the Dodgers came in and they had to relocate. So, you know, I was dealing with a lot of people in their 80s and going back through a lot of newspaper archives, um, mm. the Los Angeles Public Library archives, newspapers.com, the sporting news, things of like that. Now, but there were still a number of players that I was able to get with. So when when... I dove into this project, I knew it was going to be, I think the research skills that I had, had mm-hmm. kind of learned from the Hollywood stars project. I knew I was really going to have to rely on those even more in this project because there were going to be fewer people that I was going to have the ability to, to get firsthand conversation with on, on their, their recollections of everything. Right. And I can only imagine there's there's no tougher process or journey than uh, the first book or the first book in, uh, with a process like that. Right. So so definitely putting those skills to use there um, the second time around. One thing that I, I picked up on going back to Kenny Washington is and his football career is he's in the College Football Hall of Fame. And I'm someone who has had the honor of being able to vote um, in, in previous years on some of the current class or more recent classes of the, the college football hall of fame. But I did notice that there's no pro hall of fame mention or, or he's not inducted in the, in the pro hall of fame. Kenny Washington is, um, is there any reason for that? You, you may think, I, I mean, obviously maybe the career was, was short or, you know, I mean, but you, everyone go, sometimes it's maybe a little more than what you did as a player, but maybe more of your impact on the game and in other hall of fames and in other respects. But, um, do you think there's any reason or, that we may see Kenny Washington in that in the future? Well, I would hope so. Uh, his daughter and, and one of his grandsons uh, went yeah. back this weekend to Canton, and oh, yeah. that has they been their goal it. in going mm-hmm. that is, is to create that awareness. And, and I, I applaud that. Uh, you know, I, I look at it in multiple ways. If you judge him just on his three seasons with the Rams, 
well, I can understand why people aren't going to give him the vote. If you're looking at him as a pioneer, then there becomes the question of, are you disrespecting the guys that came before him? Mm -hmm. But he did go through a lot. And I think there really is, uh, he is, he is very deserving of that recognition. And then, so it's, it's difficult, but it's the professional football hall of fame. And so that, right. then the question that I raise is, do you include his time with the Hollywood bears and everything right. there? And it's not role, just NFL, right? Exactly. And his role in bringing professional football and the ability for, for the NFL to have success on the West coast, uh, you know, his popularity, they were saying 20 to 30% of the crowds, both at Hollywood bears games, but then the first year of the Rams, first few years of the Rams, Mm -hmm. 20 to 30% of the crowd were African-Americans. Right. And my question is how much of that was happening around the rest of the NFL? Yeah. So I, I think his impact is, is, is really underappreciated. And I would hope that, you know, this dive would, would make others want to take a deep dive and really reevaluate it. And what has the feedback been uh, for the book, whether it's again with his family or just out in general, or, or based on those you've talked to, uh, what, what has the feedback for the book been? Well, his his family, they've been wonderful. They've been very, uh, very positive, and, and they've talked about how much they're learning about their their father and their grandfather hmm. from it, which is, is, is really wonderful to hear. Um, a little bit like you, uh, there's been surprise. Uh, people, yeah. I spoke to a group in New York that is uh, made up of New York Giants baseball historians. Wow. So I kind of crafted the talk about his spring with the Giants mm -hmm. and then his part of the season with the Angels in 1950. And when it finished, one of the guys turned on Zoom to one of the other members who I guess is this big historian of the New York Giants and said, Rich, did you know about this? And he goes, <laughs> he was just, I could see his, his expression. He was in shock. And he said, right. I knew nothing about Kenny Washington, wow. you know, being in spring training with the Giants. So, uh, you know, I, I think that, I think it's a tragedy that he's been forgotten. This may be the greatest football player of all time. And that's not mm -hmm. me. Those are the Hall of Famers that saw him. You know, Waterfield, Red Grange, Bronco Nagurski, the greats of the 30s and 40s that saw him, he could throw a football 100 yards in the air. He had the speed to run, get around the edge and run away from defenders. He could, had the power to run off tackle, an amazing stiff, straight arm. And his coaches said he was even better on defense. Oh, wow. So, uh, you know, and growing up, I'd read all these stories <laughs> about Red Grange and all these guys. And, and then I start diving into Kenny and I'm going, why did I never read of Kenny as well? Yeah, You know, the Hollywood Bears had an exhibition game in Washington because they would train. They would come out and have their preseason training in San Diego. Mm -hmm. And after the game, now Washington at that time had, had Sammy Baugh as their quarterback, who's a Hall of Famer. And, the, and you know, the, the Washington coach said, boy, I sure wish I had Kenny Washington. <laughs> I mean, and, yeah. and we don't know about him. That, that's, it's, it's really sad to me. Well, Dan, thank you so much for your time. I, I appreciate all of it. And, and again, I mean, hey, I, I'm, I'm blown away and have already learned so much more just, just from talking to you. I'm going to I'm more than ready and excited to finish the rest of this book. Um, again, the book is called Walking Alone, The Untold Journey of a Football Pioneer, Kenny Washington, um, written by Dan Taylor. And yeah, I, again, I, I've learned a lot. And as someone who covers UCLA football, um, over the last couple of years, and and we do this football UCLA football podcast here. Um, I'm I'm excited to share this episode and get it out in front of current UCLA fans and and uh, teach them a little bit of a history lesson. And I think that was awesome of what you said, um, where you know you have historians of different baseball organization and sporting organizations, and and they're still learning new things. And and I think that's cool. I think at the end of the day, as long as we can all continue to learn something every day, 
um, we're doing something good with our lives. But yeah, man, I, I, I've, I've appreciated this so much. And um, we still have a few minutes left here. But before I let you go, I'm curious, what's next for you? Any other books or topics? Well, you, uh, you don't have to you know, give anything away. I'm not expecting you to completely tip your hand, but but are we getting another book or two out of you down the road? Uh, it'll be out next spring. I just okay. hit the send button a week ago Ooh, today. <laughs> okay, so it's already done. All right. Yeah, all right. It, deal, it deals with the, the uh, manager of Babe Ruth and, uh, and a winter that was spent in L.A. Okay. Uh, that that uh, Babe Ruth actually became uh, the first pro athlete to embrace strength and conditioning. Wow. in uh, the winter of 1926, <laughs> 27. And, and from that, he had his greatest year at 60 home runs. So we kind of go, go through all of that. And yeah, it was, it was really a fascinating journey. Good stuff. Well, I'm looking forward to that book as well. Thank you. And, and again, thank you so much for your time, Dan. Um, it's been, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast and hopefully we can have you on again soon sometime. Love it. It was a treat getting to spend some time with you. Enjoyed meeting you and hope we'll run into each other down the road again. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dan. You have Thanks. a good one. You too. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.